this is Tiffany Aurora. You're listening to the Entrepreneurs and Artists Podcast. Today is Alana Fishbein. Alana is an improv teacher and performer based in New York City. She's also an educational consultant and executive coach. She has designed curricula and facilitated improv workshops all over the United States and even beyond, and has worked with corporations and nonprofits and educational institutions. Her experiential sessions aim to help the students in those sessions expand their ability to communicate, to speak publicly, to facilitate, to collaborate. And one of the things that I really love is she places a big emphasis on leadership through radical respect and elevation of other people's ideas. This is such a good one. I hope you enjoy the discussion. Thanks for tuning in. Right, so I am very excited to introduce Alana Fishbein, who is joining me today. Alana, welcome to the Entrepreneurs and Artists Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Streaming live from New York City, I think. Yes, yes, Brooklyn, indeed. So I, I have a quick question for you before we get into improv, because you're an improv performer and a teacher and instructor, and um, I have a lot of questions for you about that. But I had taken a quick look at your bio, and I noticed that after this long, incredible list of all of the things you've done and all of the shows that you've been featured in. At the very, very end, there's a tiny little line that says, her favorite succulent is Jade. And I was yeah. wondering what the story was about that. I don't know. I put that on my bio like 15 years ago and it hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, but I, I do have a Jade plant in my home that I really love that was born from probably a jade that my mother had growing in, in her house. And I think I've had it for like 20 years. Um, and it, wow. it lives in my bathroom. I love it. And, you know, during the pandemic, I left Brooklyn for a, a long period. And one of the things I was most upset about was that I would have to leave this jade and it might just die in my absence. And somehow it, it survived and is thriving. Uh, so that's really exciting. <laughs> succulents have, uh, I think a reputation for being able to last through so many things. And now apparently co the COVID-19 pandemic can be added to that list. Yeah. Although I'll say this, I've killed a bunch of aloe. So yeah. All right. So you are an improv performer amongst many other things. I know you teach as well. You've designed curricula and you've performed all over the world, but I was wondering if you could take us back to kind of your very beginnings in the improv world, because I'm curious what it was like the moment where you had an experience with improv, where you thought to yourself, oh, this is for me. This is going to have some sort of significant impact on my life. What was that moment for you? Yeah, well, I, I did have that precise moment. I went to see Second City in Toronto when I was 15 years old. I was with a group of other teens, you know, on like a little summer excursion as part of a summer program. And we were doing 
theater together, but we got to go see Second City, which is, you know, of course, a, a famous improv sketch comedy theater. And I walked out of the show and I turned to my counselor and I said, this is what I want to do with my life. And at 15. Yeah. And it honestly, this it like really ch- chokes me up that I I am doing it. You know, I, I get to do improv every single day and I... I have to like reflect and be like, wow, I I guess I did lay out that destiny for myself. It's pretty profound. I think I wander around in my life a lot thinking, what am I doing? I'm not an expert in anything. I'm just bumbling around. But then when I remember that origin story, I think to myself, well, I guess I, I, I guess I had it more together than I <laughs> initially thought, you know, I, to have laid out that path and then followed through is pretty wild. Yeah, I don't know too many people who at 15 not only realize what they're interested in, but are able to actually make it work. That's a really incredible story. And throughout yeah. the pandemic too. And I, I don't like to usually talk about the pandemic too much because I feel like we're all probably a little oversaturated with it. But but I was curious how improv and like the performance scene has changed as a result of the pandemic. I think that things have really reverted, you know, back okay. to what it was pre-pandemic. But one thing I would like to speak to is how I've reacted to the pandemic because I, of all of my experience with improv. I immediately went into, let's adapt, let's problem solve, let's work together, let's create community. And this can be a fun challenge as far as, you know, figuring out uh, how to keep doing the work that I had been doing. And I think that my sort of improv improvisational mindset put me on that course because I had a lot of practice with adaptation. Yeah. And there not being one fixed way of doing something. So for me, during the pandemic, performing was very much about having communal experiences. It was about that social aspect of seeing my friends through through the screen and working on something together. Now it's just wonderful to be back in the room with each other, though. And the shows are that much more satisfying because we have an audience. So this is a show for entrepreneurs and artists. And I'm wondering a couple of things. I'm wondering, first of all, I think most people are familiar with what improv is. But if you could take just a moment and just really at a very basic level, just describe, you know, what is improv? When somebody walks into an improv show, what what are they signing up to see? And then I'm wondering if we could take that just a step further, because I love what you just mentioned about how your background, how improv really gave you the skills to be able to not only adapt, but to kind of step into a very uh, leadership space and the ability to adapt. And I was wondering if you could also speak to that a little bit about what is it about improv that could help someone who's stepping into a leadership space in a new business? What are some of the skills that they might find in improv that would be helpful to them? Wow, Tiffany, we could really break up those questions. Yes, Let's go back to the first one. <laughs> no. uh, improv, improvisation is unscripted theater. Uh, you're seeing a performance that's being made up on the spot. And there are lots of different formats for how that could look, but that's essentially it. We're, we're making this up on the spot. 
And then um, let, let me let me come back yes. to it because I know I, I threw I threw you two big questions that are quite <laughs> different. So sorry about that. And I'm glad you called me out on it. That was totally fair. So, but the second question is so unscripted. Yeah, it's unscripted theater, right? So you yes. walk in. It's this is the people who are on the stage. They've never done this before. They didn't have a script, and they're literally making it up with each other as they go back and forth. And there's a couple tenets to that. I know I I don't know that much about improv. I've taken a few basic classes. I know there's a concept of yes and that's yes sort of common. Could you could you talk about that for a second? Yeah. So the concept of yes and is basically a, a rule that we're going to agree with each other's reality and we're going to build upon it. If someone puts out an idea, we're going to agree and build. Um, and it's actually really interesting the way that yes and has evolved over you know, 50 years of improv legacy, more than that, really. I think that sometimes there's this notion that I am going to have to agree with everything that people put out there. Like if someone says like, hey, let's all eat poop, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you could be like, I don't really want to do that, you know, and that's acceptable because who wants to eat poop? What are, what are we doing? But it's the acknowledgement of the reality that someone suggested let's eat poop so Mm -hmm. it's it's um it's about joining forces to create a fictional reality on the spot it's the opposite of gaslighting Mm. (laughs) so for instance yeah so for instance if i start a scene and i say hey ah, i can't wait to get off this boat i'm feeling so seasick if you turn to me and said what are you talking about we're not on a boat then that would be undermining the reality, right? I would be left in the lurch, kind of wondering, well, where are we then? Why, why, why are you throwing me under the bus? It's a, it's a really mean thing to do, quite frankly, to undermine someone else's reality. And it's a problem, mm-hmm. and it's a real problem in the world and society, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, we can have different ideas and opinions. You could be like, wow, Ilana... I'm sorry. I'm just really comfortable on boats. (laughs) You could be having a great time, you know, but uh, what we want to make sure that we're always doing is um, affirming each other's conception of the world in in terms of where are we, who are we, so that the scene can continue and progress rather than fighting about what the reality is. I love that. And I think one of the, um, one of the takeaways for me as an entrepreneur is the importance of being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and see the world the way they have it and and to go as far as to publicly affirm or verbally affirm and agree with them. And I think it's easy as an early stage entrepreneur sometimes to be like, I have an idea and we're just going to run with it. I saw this problem one time in one place and I'm going to build a business around it. And then you go, you have this great idea. You go, you build the whole business and you forget to talk to people along the way. And, or maybe you do, and somebody's like, mm, I'm not really sure about that. And you're like, no, 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 my idea is great. And you just run with it. And I, I think the skill that you have just defined, it's like, it's such a simple thing, but it could so easily be helpful on a, a regular basis. Like take, take your idea, take the thing as you're building it, the business idea um, or your art. If you're writing a script or you're writing a book, take it and go share it with somebody, get their feedback, affirm it. And then continue to do the work and continue to move forward. Yeah. And what you kind of described is basic listening, 
right? Mm -hmm. It's listening to what people are saying and what the world needs and Mm -hmm. then running with it. If we're not listening and we're ignoring the stimulus that we're getting from the world, then we're denying the reality and we're, we're running forward with ideas that are based on nothing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, a lot of people, you know, will go to an improv show and it all just seems so overwhelming that, that it might be just randomness, but it's not randomness. We're actually listening and uh, growing something together using complex communication skills. What suggestions do you make for people? Because you're, you're a teacher, right? You're a teacher and, yes. and a coach. What suggestions do you give to um, students or individuals that you're coaching about ways to become better listeners? Oh, I have something I say to people all the time. It's so simple. It's just be interested. Mm. That's it. Be interested in each other. Be interested in what someone else has to say. If you're not interested, how are you going to hear them? If you're not interested, you have this other narrative going on in your head. If, If you are actively, as your character, acting disinterested, you're actually going to have a harder time, like hearing what your scene partner has to say. It's so simple. That being said, I am innately interested in people. That's just one of my things. I love meeting people. I love hearing their stories. So maybe I have a leg up. That's just part of my personality, but it has really served me. So if you can cultivate (laughs) an interest in other people, then you're going to be golden. I've heard it said that a lot of people try to be interesting. And the best way to be interesting is to be interested. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I I think that's um there there's kind of a correlation with improv scenes there, you know, you have someone on stage trying to, you know, get the the audience focused, trying to be funny and it comes off as really inauthentic and not very relatable. But when someone relaxes and kind of throws their focus at their scene partner and focuses on making them look good, well, then they look like a genius. It's it's really unintuitive, but it's true. I'm curious, what what sort of things do you look for in a potential, um, like a scene partner, someone that you might be you might want to do a performance with. I don't, I don't know how often that happens for you. I don't know if you have sort of like a set group of people that you perform with all the time or if you perform with new people on a regular basis. But I was I was kind of curious mm. about that because because there's so much trust involved in improv. And I was I was curious if there is any sort of system or process that you go through when you're thinking about who you want to perform with. That's a great that's a great question and actually not one that I think about very much because I'm sort of often of the mindset, like, oh, I'll play with anyone. It'll be fun. I'll learn something. It'll stretch my my muscles. Uh, however, if I'm going to enter commitment <laughs> to perform with people in any kind of long-term way, I want them to be able to have that sort of unofficial contract that we're going to support each other and trust each other and um, not judge one another. But get really, but but be very excited about what what one another has to offer. So I mean, we're asking uh, what makes a good collaborator. It's probably those things. And I appreciate how you separated the the short term from the long term because I I think that's a really good point, right? Like we can 
we can learn from just about anyone if we have, if we come to it with a state of mind and the humility of, okay, we're having a short-term interaction with someone, I can learn from them or I can, I can do some sort of work with them. But a long-term collaboration is quite a different thing and requires a different approach. Yeah, I, I think that we shouldn't be dismissing people from having long, like short, some short-term collaborations. There's something to be taken from that. For sure. Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to, ah, I'll just do an improv scene with anyone. Why not? It's I know it's a struggle in um the the artistic world is a little bit different, but I, I know in the in the business world and in the entrepreneurship world, it's it's often a struggle because some people just are like, okay, I need help. <laughs> I have so <laughs> much to do. And so I'm just gonna go find someone who has the skills and we're gonna enter into a contract and this is gonna be my co-founder and we're just gonna run. Uh, that's that's one approach which is comes with its own set of problems that usually surface very very quickly and then there's this other there's another approach that is i'm going to be really 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 careful and i don't know if i ever want to commit to anybody on a long term basis and that also has its own set of problems and so it's just it's an interesting space to explore because we we all need to work with other people and we can all learn from other people but there is a certain level of intentionality that is a part of that. And I think there there needs to be at least a little bit of time taken and some care and attention taken to figuring out, is this is this somebody that I want to work with in the long term? You know, as you were talking, it made me reflect on the fact that I've decided to go it alone when it comes to uh, my own entrepreneurship, being an independent teacher, consultant, contractor, you know, if I, 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 I'm one of those people who has like five W2s. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I do, yep. I do, I do work for a lot of companies and in those companies I'm collaborating with people all the time. But when I do freelance work, I'm really on my own and I love being in control. That's why I love facilitating, you know, and uh, not having to, you know, consult with someone before I make a choice in the room. However, I am constantly pinging ideas off of other people, other colleagues. I love talking to other people who are facilitating applied improvisation with corporations or or teachers or, or various groups. And there's kind of this common understanding that, you know, uh, rising tide lifts all ships and let's consult with each other and, and help each other. But ultimately, when we each go into the room, we're in command, which I think um, is really great. I would not be able to do this work as well as I do it without being able to make those phone calls to colleagues mm -hmm. to to ask questions and and I love when they call me and we can bat around ideas. I've heard I've heard some people refer to a concept of like a personal board of directors Ooh. or I've heard, I've heard some people like to call it like their own personal mastermind group or you know like there's different terms. I like the board of directors just cuz it's like a little bit different. I don't personally have one although I am slowly over the course of the last couple of years I've been building like like you this kind of like network of people I can call with specific questions. But instinctually what's your what's your response to that kind of idea of having a person I directors. love it. This makes me so excited. It makes me think like, oh, who who would be on my personal board of directors? That is fabulous. I'm I'm in. I love this. Uh, I definitely have those people, and I am sure I am that on other people's boards as well. Mm. And it feels honestly so good to help other people when they're trying to work out those 
little issues like people I have friends that'll call that will say I'm having this this uh issue with this student who's having this struggle do you have any advice or and figuring that out with them is it's so satisfying do you purposefully look for those people or do you find that you sort of find them by accident well again I'm really interested in people as has Mm -hmm. been established so Mm -hmm. I don't think that I ever set out with that uh intent but I think that I am very, I, I love people. Oh God, Tiffany, I love people. I just, I, I believe in those, in fostering long-term friendships and relationships. And I really try to keep up with people. And I feel incredibly lucky to have, to have so many relationships with people that I count as both friends and professional colleagues. I love that. And I think, um, I think some, some people sort of naturally do that and are able to bridge that gap and become personally close, at least on some, some level with people that they work with on a regular basis. But some people really struggle with that. That's really hard either because they just, they, um, you know, compartmentalize their, their life that sometimes is part of it. And sometimes it's just, they, they find themselves much more easily falling into just building professional relationships. And it's, it's harder for them to, you know, make that personal connection. But are there, are there any suggestions you would have if you were to stop and sort of like break down the way that you do it, even though I know it's pretty natural for you, any suggestions you would have for people who are like, they have good business contacts, but maybe they know, I don't necessarily feel comfortable enough to just call them with a problem, but I want to get to the point where I could do that. Do you have any suggestions for how they could build those relationships? Yeah, well, I'm a big believer in group activities and structure. I think that if you're finding you're having trouble making connections with even friends, let's just talk about like Mm. making friends, sign up for something, take an improv class, like do a sports league, you know, try to do some activities that get you in the room with other people where there's structured fun. I find it really hard to, you know, go to a party, go to a, a, a bar where it's un, unstructured. Sometimes uh, when we have that structured fun and structured play, it gives us a sense of group purpose that will naturally help us forge relationships and bonds and might also put us into um, a situation of vulnerability. You know, certainly with improv, that's the case, but even even sports. I mean, we're, we're up there. We're up we're up at that. You know, we have to hit. People are looking at us. And I think that by putting ourselves into a position of vulnerability, we start to break down some of the walls that make it a little bit easier to forge more intimate relationships with people. That's why I think so many companies do have non-work activities embedded Mm. into their framework and fabric. That's why there are, I don't know, like ping pong tables at Google. I I don't even know. And that's why one of the things that was so weird during the pandemic when people weren't in offices together, they sought out all these online activities that would bring people together. So that would be my, my, my first bit of advice. And I think that trusting that things will organically form, like maybe you're in an improv class, there aren't people there that are in your specific line of work or your career path. But I think one of the things that improv helps you with is to make connections between things that are seemingly disconnected or not connected, right? But actually like 
if you are, well, let's say you work in IT and someone else is a dog walker, who knows? Maybe you start a dog walking app, right? Hopefully improv can help you get out of some really like fixed thinking or literal thinking into more creative thinking. I think that's really exciting. You've mentioned improv tradings at corporations. When corporations call you for an improv trading, what what are the types of things that they're often looking for? It might be a team building workshop. It might be, you know, we want to come out of this having had fun together. That's kind of the simplest baseline. Other companies might look for folks to work on their communication skills, their listening skills, or even presentation skills. Another one of my favorite kinds of frameworks, I I remember I did a workshop, I I did actually two workshops for a company called Year Up. They're they're a nonprofit that uh, helps with career development. And the guy that hired me, this really lovely guy named Todd Fisher, he was like, we want people on our team to fail fast and be okay failing. I want people like throwing out drafts put it out in draft form rather than having things be perfect from the outset. And I was like, oh my gosh, Todd, you're the perfect client. (laughs) Because he was like, however you do it, that's the theme, but whatever, I trust you. And it was such a great theme because I think that people are so scared and guarded about looking silly or being wrong. And there's so much value in just putting out a a half-formed idea and developing that idea together. That goes back to the issue of trust that we talked about before, because I think that the culture becomes so incredibly important for employees or for team members to be able to do that. And I think, I mean, that's true in business. It's true in the creative world as well. And it goes all the way mm-hmm. back to your improv performance, like to actually have a culture where that is okay, where it's specifically stated and then it's practiced and it's reinforced over and over and over again. Like this is okay. It's part of the process. Yeah. Are you familiar with the term psychological safety? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that's a term that kind of comes up a lot. And uh, a big part of yes and is, you know, developing a sense of psychological safety. Whatever I put out there, people are going to agree and support and build on my idea, right? And so in psychological safety, we have permission to fail or put our ideas out there without judgment from others. You know, you have so many different personality types in a room. You have introverts, you have extroverts. And what psychological safety seeks to do is create a level playing field for people to participate in the conversation. And the um, the communication skills that you mentioned, I want to touch on that real briefly because- Communication obviously is an incredibly important skill, right? We don't get anywhere in the world without it, but also public speaking and not just public speaking in the form of like getting up and giving a speech, but just public speaking in terms of addressing a group. So that's could be, you know, a founder of a company who has just got their first team together and there's four of them. It could be addressing them together as a group, or it could be standing up in front of a a room of an and potential investors and pitching your business. Becoming better at public speaking is something that all of us can get better at. And it's it's a big fear. It's It makes a lot of people really scared for understandable reasons. And so I'm wondering, you, you might have more even to, to go on this, but I was curious if you could talk a little bit about maybe some improv practices that people could use in their just like their everyday life that can help them learn to become a better speaker and become a little more comfortable in that space. Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's like 
a little bit of immersion therapy. You just have to keep getting up and, and doing it. So I think getting lots of reps in, just like you do lots of reps to, you know, grow those biceps, it's grow your strength as a speaker. You have to practice. Then it's a matter of thinking, um, a little bit about what what you're putting out there. It's growing a sense of self-awareness. How am I holding my body? Am I rooted to the ground? Am I planted? Um, and I think that a lot of people come into an improv class having never done any kind of theater, never done any yoga or any anything that involves body awareness. And that might be really new to them to suddenly notice what they're putting out there. So start to look look inward just a little bit to be aware of how you're moving and how you're even using your 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 voice. And so there are different exercises that might get people to play with with their bodies and their voices in a way that they're not used to. I'll, I could speak to one exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Please. So, please. That'd be awesome. um I learned this exercise from a really awesome uh, improviser and uh, actress based in Minneapolis. Her name is Joy Dolo, and the exercise is called Dynamics. And what happens is you get two improvisers up on stage, and you assign each of them a set of qualities um, as far as how they're going to use their voice and their bodies. So it might be like the pace of your speech is really slow. Like I would talk painfully slow yes okay (laughs) but your voice is also really high pitched (laughs) you know or it's something ridiculous like that you're 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 kind of pushing people towards extremes and it might be so painfully slow that they become aware of the fact that like wow, I speak really fast. Like I've done this with students and they were, they've been absolutely unable to speak slowly or move gracefully or, or whatever. And suddenly they're like, wow, I, I didn't really realize that about myself, but maybe I can have fun making some, some adjustments. I think that, um, it's all about, you know, building awareness eventually, you know, as a great improviser, we're able to inhabit our character from, you know, the tips of our head to the ends of our toes, right? But it takes kind of this slow breaking down of how we're behaving and and manipulating that behavior a little bit. And it's all through play. Well, I love that. And I love that on two levels. One is just the simple awareness piece, the whole, the whole concept of paying attention to what you're paying attention to, right? Yeah. Which is, is so important. And I've done a lot of public speaking, but I'll be honest with you. I don't know. There are moments where I'm very aware of like how I'm sitting or standing. Usually I'm standing right now. I'm sitting, but there are moments that I'm not, but it will, will change everything. Right. I mean, even if you just like sit up straight and pull back your shoulders, you'll you'll notice the tone of your voice and your projection will shift a little bit. And then there might come a point where people are like, I'm, whoa, I'm like so (laughs) self-conscious. Right. And that's where it's important to remember it's actually not about you this speech this is about communicating to an audience so let's let's flip it now and think what is my intention in this speech my intention is that they understand or my intention is that they're persuaded whatever it might be and it becomes less about you and more about them are they picking up what I'm putting down it's Mm -hmm. like when we talked earlier about you know, in a two-person scene, am I just up here trying to tell jokes and look funny and weird? Or am I concerned about making my scene partner look good? Make sure they're understanding what's happening in the scene with me. 
it's it's like with so much like if we could just knock out like any sort of narcissistic tendency and just be like it's it's not about you it's about them it's about them it's about them you know it it, it can be a really big help because it I, and I think I think it could lower people's anxiety if you're not concerned about you if you're concerned about them then um it can really change your mindset it's easy to be in a space where when you just get nervous for whatever reason and sometimes it's just the nerves that come with not having done something very much because confidence is built over time in large part by doing the reps like you said and you learn over time that either that you are building the skills but also sometimes you fall short and that's okay and that also helps build your confidence, right? Yeah. I, I'm a changed person because of improv and not like always, but you know, I, I was not good when I was 15 and I declared I want to do improv with my life. I was not good at it. <laughs> I thought I was good, but I was not good. <laughs> and it, it it really took took time and open-mindedness um, in terms of I'm constantly learning new things and I've been doing this for, you know, 25 years. I also want to say one other thing that I realized over this past year about improv that I hadn't really realized before. And that's that, you know, one of the reasons why we practice this craft and practice improv so much is so that we can be funny in the moment while still retaining our values and mm. communicating what we want to communicate. Okay, and can, that's you, can you really break hard. that down a little bit more about like, what, what do you mean by maintaining our values while still being funny? Right. So it, because it's improv and things are spontaneous, sometimes you can go out there and say some really dumb stuff and really embarrass yourself. And in fact, feel quite ashamed <laughs> Mm. <laughs> of your work. And very often that's because we've like forgotten our values, right? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to play uh this is awful, but I'm going to go out there, I'll play an abusive husband because that'll be, f- you know, a funny trope, you know, but like, you know, the world doesn't need to see that, right? Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't need mm-hmm. to see an abuser of any kind, really. But maybe I have a uh, an, an angle on this that I'm kind of interested in exploring. With many, many years of practice, maybe I can come out. Maybe I can do something that um, is f- funny and interesting and profound that may s- explore this topic in some way, but it's going to be, it, I'm going to retain my values. I'm not making fun of someone who is abused, for instance, yeah. you know, like it, yeah. it's such a tricky example. I, I think that a lot of times people want to do things that are provocative and they really don't hit the right edge uh, on it. Improv doesn't need to be provocative. Only be provocative if you are freaking excellent. <laughs> and that that's a lot of practice. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot of practice. But that, I mean, that ability, I love the, just the focus on maintaining your values in the midst of all of that, because I mean, that's also, that's also how you produce work and a body of work over time that you're really proud of, not to mention the fact that it's how you get better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this goes to the idea of public speaking, specifically to extemporaneous public speaking. You have a topic, you have an outline, you have a sense of what you're going to say, but it's unscripted. That's how most public speaking works. You're not going into conference rooms with a script for presentations. You're just not. You are speaking off the cuff with a plan. That is extemporaneous speaking. We get better at it with practice. 
period. I'm going to be taking this, I'm going to be taking us down the road of those values a little too far. So you, you can Alrighty. stop me if we Love are. It. But, but I, I'm curious if you have articulated any of those values for you. And I ask this because I, I have heard people over the years talk about setting, like setting their values or setting, um, like specifically stating a few things where like, these are like my focus areas like this year or over the course of the next, you know, so long. Um, these are my stated public values. And I, I'm going to tell you, I thought it was really hokey for a really long time, (laughs) but then I, I heard, I heard somebody, I heard an interview, um, with someone who had been interviewing NFL coaches, and they talked about how they had been a part of the interview process for the coach that is now coaching um, the team in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions they had asked every single one of like their top 10 candidates was, what are your values? And there was an expectation that they would state them and then talk about how those values sort of were a part of their coaching methodology. And I was so fascinated by it that I actually went home after that interview and scripted out four values where I'm like, for the next year, I'm going to focus on these. And I was just curious, and that's just my own personal, where I am personally, but I was wondering if you have articulated any of those values, either ones that you value from like an improv perspective, like these are the ones that I practice when I go up on stage or, or in any other sphere of your life. But I I was curious if articulating those values has been a part of your process. You know, I, this is such a fabulous question. Ultimately, my values like could all sort of funnel down into one thing. It's that I want people to leave the room feeling better than when they came in or at least not worse. That seems great to me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't want people to leave the space feeling diminished Mm -hmm. um, or at a loss. What's Mm -hmm. the point, you know? And I I think that that carries over to pretty much every situation that I'm ever in. I have ideas about how people would feel, might feel diminished, and I try to avoid those things, whether it's being excluded, you know, or put down, you know, in in, in any way. I I was a substitute teacher for a number of years. Yes. Uh And I think that this kind of, objective came from that because gosh I mean when you're a substitute teacher there's only so much you can do you're not grading them you know they may or may not do their work you do your best but you know I'm subbing for middle school and high school which I really love I love working with middle schoolers I think it's the worst time ever that that age so if I can create an experience where they leave the room not feeling worse than when they walked in then great you yeah. know, then, then I've done my job. That's all that really matters. And inherent in that is the idea of seeing people like genuinely seeing them for who they are. Yeah. Right. Because how, how else would you be able to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, may perhaps this value to some, to some of our listeners might seem like very generic, but it's uh, flexible. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, as a teacher, we've talked a lot about improv, but really like teaching is maybe even more so my passion. I I get like the high from teaching in the same way I get a high from performing. You know, when you like stick the landing on a class, you're like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. 
but you know, I, 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 you know, I work in with corporate groups, you know, nonprofits, arts organizations. I work in schools. I work with young kids. I work with teens. I work with undergrads. Sometimes I, I see students for a run of many, many weeks, and sometimes it's a one-off. So what is my objective with each individual group? It's very, very different. And the outcomes that I want to create with a corporate group are very different than with the undergrads that I'm working with for 15 weeks. It's um, it's know your purpose. I'm a very firm believer in knowing your why. Don't just do an exercise or a game because there has to be a reason why. Why are you doing it? And it's possible that the participants will make different realizations and have different gains than you initially laid out. And that's fine. But it's important for you or me as a facilitator to have really clear intention when I present something or introduce an exercise. Do you do you ask um, when you're when you're teaching improv, do you ask the students or, you know, the the individuals who are part of that class, do you ask them to state their intention? Like, do you, or, or be aware of it in any way? Oh, that's really interesting. So what do you mean? Is that prior to, uh, like when, like when a session starts or, or prior to it, but like when you're getting to know them as the class that you'll be with for, you know, one session or 15 Mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be, you have your own intention, like you just stated. And I, I was wondering if you also asked them to, think about or specify their intention or whether it's a, that's a little bit of a different process. You know, this is really funny. I I generally don't because time is so precious. Mm, mm-hmm. And whenever I've had a workshop instructor go around and then if everyone introduced themselves in such a way that they state their intention and their whole bio and background, I think to myself, you are eating time. You are burning my money right now. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. And a little bit, sometimes when people go on and on, you're like, I want to kill myself. But yes. Well, but the thing is, I'm really interested in people, but Mm -hmm. I'm furious at that facilitator Mm -hmm. for not using the time um, appropriately. Um, Mm -hmm. However, I love to hear people's stories. So I want to know the intention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, so if I have the opportunity to find out a little bit more about students, uh, so for instance, with the um, this uh, class I'm teaching in an acting conservatory with undergrads for 15 weeks, I had them do a get to know you assignment where they, they sort of wrote out a bit about themselves, which was so helpful. Um, and I referenced that throughout the semester to kind of check in um, on, oh yeah, like Henry was thinking about this coming into this class, but I, uh, time is very precious to me and to them, to everyone. Yeah. Um, okay, so if uh, if our listeners were interested in working with you, if they wanted to see you perform or they were interested in hiring you to come in and run a workshop, mm-hmm. where would they find information about you? And is there anything you want to share about the, the type of work that you do that you're available to to be hired for? Yeah, so, uh, well, first I'll share my website is ilanafishbein.com. Check the show notes for spelling. <laughs> and I also uh, perform and teach at the Magnet Theater in New York City. And I I'm generally can be seen on stage Saturday nights at 7.30 p.m. in a show called The Armando Diaz Experience, where we invite guest storytellers to tell true stories about their life. Then we do improv inspired by those stories. And 
I swear, it is such a good show. And all the people in this show are just phenomenal. Some of the best improvisers in the city. I love them. I love them. I love them. But as for other ways to work with me, I, you know, do corporate workshops. I do work with schools and, and, and teachers. And if you're interested in incorporating improv into your practice, your mindset, or to target a particular skill, reach out, shoot me an email. I'd love to get to know you. Let's Zoom, baby. Give me a phone call. Um, but I I really, um, I, I just love meeting new people. I love going into a room of folks that might be a bit skeptical about what they're getting into and, you know, seeing those transformations and seeing people get really excited about each other, seeing different sides of one another, laughing together. That's always so exciting to me. And I I feel like I leave workshops being like, oh, my best friends, (laughs) when will we see each other again? And then we all drift off in different directions. But really yeah. just reach out. And I will say I I had hired you years ago to to run workshops for a, a nonprofit that I was working with at the time. You came in yes. and did, did workshops with um some teens like high school college age and you were phenomenal. You were I think their favorite part of the entire training weekend every oh single gosh. time you came in. So um, well, I have you're, to you're I have to tell you for whatever reason the like group photos from that those workshops I think I did it twice or three times. They mm-hmm. always come up in my Apple photo <laughs> memories. Always. It's like uh-huh. we're, you know, like front row is kind of like posed and uh, always. And I, I so I, I think about noise often. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That's that's wonderful. And I got to say, like, particularly working with teens is so special to me because I had that experience as a teenager really realizing that improv was for me getting to work with teens now and potentially unlocking that experience for them or helping them gain the confidence to realize they're really passionate about something else is so so meaningful to me being a teenager really stinks it's so hard it's so hard to find your people if you do naturally find your people in high school congratulations but I really didn't fit in and finding people that were really excited about improv and comedy and being weird changed my life and um if I can bring teens together who are also super weird (laughs) um who can then find their people that's the best thing I can possibly do in life that that would be my greatest accomplishment that's fantastic. Well, Alana, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your your insight and your wisdom from all these years of improv. Plus, you're just a you're a phenomenal person. You're always fun to talk to. So I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Uh, we will put your your website in the show notes, alanafishbein.com. So if anyone is interested in reaching out to you, they can do that through your website. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Tiffany. This was so much fun. Uh, I'm I'm already hyped and jittery. I don't know. Uh, I really appreciate it. You're awesome. 